Hey, folks, welcome to the Encuentros Latinx podcast, where we explore stories of spirituality, identity, and culture from Latinx perspectives. My name is Taylor Amaj. I'm an author and editor, and I'm Puerto Rican. This podcast is a project of Encuentros Latinx, an LGBTQ plus ministry in the United Church of Christ. General Synod is fast approaching, and Encuentros Latinx will be there. We'll be running a couple of workshops, one of which is going through our racism toolkit, and that will be facilitated by yours truly and my guest for today's episode, Rina Ramos. Rina is the current president, leader, la jefa of Encuentros Latinx, the one who keeps us all organized and moving forward on all of the work this ministry does. In this episode, she shares how she has always lived into her proud immigrant identity and details her winding faith journey. We talk about the origin and vision of Encuentros Latinx, the impact it's had so far, and share more details about our upcoming workshops. How many UCC acronyms can we fit into a single episode? Keep a tally and let's get right into this Encuentro. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Can you introduce us by giving us your name and pronouns? Uh, my name is Rina Ramos, and my pronouns are she, her, ella. Wonderful. And what country or countries do you and your family come from? I come from the country of El Salvador in uh, Central America. I believe you are our very first person from El Salvador. On here. So, yes, Puerto Rico has been ruling in the <laughs> house. <laughs> that is so true. And most of the time, it's unintentional. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. They just are everywhere, like it's, arroz blanco. Mm -hmm, it's very true. So, what is a good memory that you have about El Salvador, your family, or places in the country, anything like that? So one of the greatest memories I have is that every time I will open the door of the apartment where I grew up in El Salvador, I will see a volcano. Mm -hmm. uh, and the image of that volcano every morning, every afternoon was really powerful to me. I, I just loved uh, that big uh, high peak mountain. Um, that I know had adopted many, many years ago in San Salvador. And, and it was just something that is very, has stayed in my, in my mind, in my memory, uh, rainy days and that volcano in front of my house. Um, very important to me because I come from a land of volcanoes and mm -hmm. a land of lakes and very tropical climate. Wow. And is it an active volcano or is it? No longer active. Okay. Uh, and uh, I gone now to see the crater uh, in other trips and it has a lot of forest inside, mm. inside of it. It's really green now. 
Oh, uh, and it's super cool. Uh, it's huge. It's like a big stadium, <laughs> very deep. Um, but yeah, so that is a memory of my growing up. Do you know the last time that it erupted? Like how long has it been dormant? I can be mistaken. I can look it up, but I okay. think in the 50s. I, okay. I'm sure it was somewhere, yeah, last century, early on. And I know that it caused a big uh, earthquake hmm. um, that I remember people talking about when I was growing up, the earthquake of that year and the volcano and the ashes and all that. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Wow, that vaguely reminds me, uh, there's a fantasy author by the name of N.K. Jemison, and she is one of the best uh, fantasy authors writing today. Her series is called, one of her series is called The Broken Earth, and it takes place in this world that has all of this really intense seismic activity, mm. and so much so that the the land goes through these uh, these different seasons where it really geologically the world is ending because there there's earthquakes massive earthquakes and and volcanoes and ash falling from the sky and all the all these things so i'm i'm taking a a workshop that a workshop on masterclass that she just uh, released and so that's fresh on my mind and hearing wow. about this volcano is just making me think about uh, some of the things that she says in this workshop about thinking about when you're like when you're writing fantasy, the land that the people live in and yeah. what is a culture like where the environment has volcanoes or a lot of intense storm activity. What kind of culture does that produce? So yeah, it's uh, just that's just fresh on my mind. Yeah. So the nickname for uh, El Salvador is the Valley of the Hammocks because we get a lot of uh, shaking and a lot of earthquake activity. So mm. this, you know, is it, I grew up like, you know, in a land that was always shaking. <laughs> so yeah, California feels really home to me because it's also a land where we a lot of activity like that. Yeah, the Valley of the Hammocks, sometimes. Wow. El Valle de las Hamacas. Mm. Yeah. So given that, you know, you grew up in El Salvador and you and you came here. So then what is your sense of Latinx identity? Because Latinx, like that's a U.S centric word yeah. stemming from Latino, Latina. So what is that kind of identity like for you? So I pride myself of being an immigrant and remaining very Latino Americana. And if I was going to try to be gender inclusive, I would use Latine because mm -hmm. it was being used in Latino America. And mm -hmm. that's where my heart gets pulled. My heart gets pulled down south. My heart uh, inhabits a body that lives in the U.S., but... My soul is always going to be a little bit in the places I grew up. Uh, and that's Latino America for me. That, that mm -hmm. form who I am, the identity I have. I remember when I first came to the U.S. at age 14, I was super homesick. And I used to miss my friends and I used to miss my, my, my way of life. And, and my mom talked to this friend of the family who was Puerto Rican, by the way. 
in New York because New York was the place, Long Island, New York was the place where my other growing up happened after mm -hmm. I left El Salvador and says, go talk to my daughter because she seems really sad. And he sat down and talked to me and he says, you know, I know what's happening to you. You might want to fit in and you might want to have blue eyes and blonde hair because that's what happened to me. And in my head, I was thinking, this person doesn't have any clue what's going on. I'm only homesick, homesick for my tamales, homesick for my friends. I don't care. I don't give a damn. I don't want to be blue eyes. I like being brown. I like black hair. I have no inkling of being white. And that has been true for me. And I think growing up in El Salvador that I never crave assimilation. Never. I resisted it. I mean, I tell people I only started listening to Bob Dylan four years ago. I didn't know the guy existed <laughs> because I have remained like listening to Spanish, watching telenovelas. Mm -hmm. It's been necessary for me in my spirit to remain connected to where I come from. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, when I hear about and, and think about immigration stories, diaspora stories, it seems that people kind of fall somewhere into one of two spaces. Either it's like you said, the staunch resistance to assimilation, or it's like total assimilation. I mean, that's, that's not, there's always an in-between. Yeah, there, there's a whole, whole spectrum yeah. of it. But like there, there's absolutely there is different ways to survive. Like, right, you're going to survive somehow the chalk of your culture with another culture. And so for some people, it's easier to adapt to the new one. Mm -hmm. And for some others of us, it's like that's taking away something that is like an arm, like a mm -hmm. leg, and mm -hmm. we're just not going to give it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I... I feel that, you know, now because I've I've had a journey of growing up and being very assimilated mm -hmm. and now being at a point of doing intentional reconnection work and, you know, trying to live into the fullness of all of my identities in a way that I wasn't doing when I was younger. And so, you know, I, I totally, when I reflect on my own life, think about like, assimilation was the easy button and it could continue to be the easy button. But then that would be just in my experience, that would be erasure. And yeah. doing that erasure, it, it feels wrong against the, not to be like super dramatic when I'm going to be super dramatic. It feels, <laughs> it feels wrong against uh, the, the baby that I was born as. Because when I was born, mm. my first year of life, nobody would have thought that I, well, nobody would have said I was white. Nobody mm -hmm. would have said I was white. My first year of life, absolutely not. I was a really cute baby, but nobody would have said I was a white baby. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, from any ancestors that I have way, way back that, you know, I may not, I may not know about being from and descendant of people of Puerto Rico and knowing what goes into creating the Puerto Rican people, all of the history that goes into that to walk around and sort of let the world, as far as I can help it, be like, oh, you're, you're white. And when whiteness means a certain thing, and it doesn't mean necessarily all the people that I might come from, that feels like that feels like an erasure, if, if that makes sense. So now I'm I'm sure. in this place of like 
just being more open about that ownership. And I, and so I totally feel you when you're like, yeah. I was against the assimilation. And well, I, did you it know, I, I suffered in civil, in visibility in a different way. Being, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Then being an immigrant, I was always being pushed out. I was reminded uh, by teachers, by people around me that if I wanted to speak Spanish, I needed it to come back to my country. Yeah. I was being called with back by white kids. Right. So I, to me, it was like, okay, so you think this U.S. is this big, great thing. Shove it. Right. I'm like, I don't care. And I don't care yeah. about your values. Let me stay with mine because mine are precious. So to me, it was like, okay, the world was pushing me out. I was like, I don't even want it. Like, take it and wrong with it. I don't care. So I I think it wasn't coming uh, from a place of total pride, but it was. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit Mm -hmm. of like, I know who I am and who I am is valuable. And Mm -hmm. I think that saved me. That Mm -hmm. saved me because Mm -hmm. I seen what these society does to people who don't know themselves mm-hmm. they push them around and they mm-hmm. make made them submit and, mm-hmm. and 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 there is no worse oppression than the one that you can give yourself mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to consider myself less than mm-hmm. even though the world tried to you know every mm-hmm. step of the way every step of the way I was being told no you cannot do it Mm-hmm. Oh, I will tell counselors, I want to be a lawyer. And they will say, no, you should be a bilingual teacher because your community needs that. They wouldn't mm-hmm. understand that what I wanted it to be was a lawyer. And I mm-hmm. found my way to do it. And mm-hmm. so every step of the way, be, I was being told, you cannot do that. And every step of the way, I was like, I show you, I will do it. Mm-hmm. And so determination, stubbornness, I don't know what you call it. But I know it has served me well. Yeah. Well, it's it's like you said, I mean, it's it's totally a survival mechanism. And there and there absolutely is a conversation to talk about like to to be able to assimilate is a privilege. Yeah. Sometimes folks don't have any aspect to them, whether that's language or name or or whatever, um, to even be Absent, able to, yeah. yeah, to even be able to assimilate. So like the, just the ability in and of itself to assimilate is a privilege within the society that folks find themselves in. And then that assimilation, while it affords privilege, it also can result in this, in this erasure. Um, sure, that's what I, I always say, the oppression, racism, in the form of racism, racism mm-hmm. and discrimination, it hurts the oppressor as well. It hurts anybody mm-hmm. who's inflicting it because it's going to cause pain all around. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. matter that that person might have power over, it will end up hurting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are your experiences with spirituality and religion? What has that faith journey been like for you throughout your life? So I have a very uh, in detour-like <laughs> spiritual journey. You know, I grew up Catholic in El Salvador uh, with a grandmother that would make me pray the rosary to go out and play. She was like, okay, this is your task. You have to do this before you go out and play. And I would like rush to the rosary <laughs> to get out to the street. <laughs> And I grew up in times where the church was being persecuted in El Salvador. And so that's part of my personal 
spiritual journey too, that I know that people who spoke against the repression of the government were priests, were nuns, were people whose faith were calling them to do that. Mm -hmm. So that was part also of my understanding of what faith looked like. And then I came to the United States and I became a Protestant Baptist by pure chance. I just ended up going to this church that was very close to my home, uh, despite the fact that I first had tried to attend a, attend a Catholic church, but the priest brushed me off because when I asked him, I have many questions. I, I want to know why there are so many religions in the world. Mm-hmm. The, the priest says, well, just come to Mass. Your answers will be by you, by you listening to the Mass. And I was going to do that when we moved very close to this church and I I saw one of my English as a second language teachers going in there and I asked her, what do you do to go in there? And she said, just come. And I went into that church and I ended up staying in that church for 10 years, very formative years, 14 to like 26, 24, Mm -hmm. 24 when I came out. And that church was home and it was very safe for me because there were other immigrants who were coming into the country during the 80s from El Salvador, like I have done because of the war. Mm-hmm. And so people spoke like me, you know, all the services were in Spanish. I started mm-hmm. being a leader in the youth group. I started being a leader in the church. Uh, and so it was important for me to have a place where I could exist without the discrimination that I was suffering daily in a school or everywhere else. So the church was the place where I could be myself culturally, but no mm-hmm. my orientation mm-hmm. because uh, I knew since very early in my life that I was a lesbian, that I was attracted to women, but at mm-hmm. that church I had to repress it. And the price of being safe culturally was to sacrifice who I was in my orientation. And I ended up marrying to a man during my church years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was trying to just be straight. And I was praying really hard to uh, pray the gay out of me. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't going to happen. And so I entered a very... A crisis of identity time where I I remember thinking, if I stop believing that God can change me, then I cannot be a Christian. And that was very painful because mm. that type of Christianity has saved me in this country. And so I, I didn't want to give it up. So it took a lot of uh, soul searching that was done with the help of a counselor once I finally told my then husband, when I hug you, I want to hug a woman, mm-hmm. he said we had to look for help. And we looked for help and we had a marriage counselor who was a trained psychologist and also was a pastor because we couldn't have gone to anybody who, who wasn't church related. Uh, mm-hmm. We couldn't go to anybody who was just secular. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was this pastor who walked me through my coming out and then finally, I asked for a divorce, but I was kicked out of that church. And 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 then that faith community that had been so dear to my heart was gone. And and that was 
another part of my journey, but I couldn't stop believing in Jesus because that has always been very important to me. And that identity is too dear to my heart to give it up. So I didn't have a church, but I had Jesus. And it was a lot of many years before I found the United Church of Christ as an avenue to express my my faith. Mm-hmm. But before that, I decided to go back to school after law school, and I went to seminary. And that was very healing to me because in seminary, I could open up myself to and spirituality that, that was bigger and more expansive than the one I have learned as a teenager in the Baptist church. And so that's why it took many detours to get to be a pastor, to be to get to be open and affirming, to understand myself as a lesbian woman and a Christian, all in the same package. That is quite a journey. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the United Church of Christ is that a lot of people, I mean, yes, there are people who grow up UCC, but most people I encounter, we find our way to the UCC because for exactly the reasons that you stated, uh, other denominations that you know may have formed us in our most formative years, you know, there it we get to a point where either you know, we ourselves discover queerness or some other thing happens in our lives where suddenly that faith that shaped us as, as children, um, we come across something that just is not accepting in that tradition. And so we find ourselves, you know, some people completely leave Christianity or they go to a different religion or they find a more uh, progressive denomination. So I, I think I think that is one of the great things about the, the UCC. And it's it's a great segue to just talk more about the work that you're doing. So I want to I want to hear a, more about your pastoral work, any advocacy work, all that stuff that you're doing. And then we will talk about the most important thing, not the most important thing, one of the most, <laughs> the most important thing for this podcast. <laughs> so, sure. So one of the things I do, I do for the United Church of Christ at a national level, and that is leading the program Encuentros Latinx, which thanks to you gave birth to this podcast last year. And we're celebrating a year mm-hmm. of having it in the air, and that is so amazing that we can have somebody as talented as you leading this podcast and taking this piece to be in the airwaves and and voices and people with different backgrounds coming to be uplifted, their voices. So this program within the UCC goes back, I think, six or seven years ago. I've only been leading it for the past two and the intention has been that it will be a program of inclusion, both for Latinx, LGBTQ within Latinx churches that tend to be too progressive and exclusive and straight and condemning of the LGBT community, and also inclusion of Latinx within Eurocentric churches that tend to be the majority of the churches within the United Church of Christ. The Latinx presence of churches are very few. 
within the UCC. And there are Latinos in the UCC, but the Latinx are, you know, scattered in all the other than, uh, congregations. Mm -hmm. So we are here to give visibility to both our uh, LGBTQ siblings and our Latinx siblings. And we do it through workshops. We do it through uh, creating written materials, reflections, this podcast, presenting at conferences as we're going to do in General Senate, where we're going to have two workshops. One of them is decolonizing faith. So just the subject alone can be yeah. very uh, attractive um, yeah. and challenging too, mm -hmm. which we're hoping it to be. And also the other workshop we're going to have is called When Privilege Enters the Door. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's when white privilege enters the door mm -hmm. or enters the room. Well, mm -hmm. and it enters everywhere. So yeah. we know in the presence of it, we sometimes need to just acknowledge it. So this is what the program is, and this is at a national level. But before that, uh, I started the first Spanish-speaking open and affirming congregation of Northern California called Ministerio Latino. We are in our 10th year. I started from zero with the help of a good friend, Carla Perez. And my call to ordination was to start this precise congregation. Hmm. And many of uh, the times I went in front of the board that approves ordination, they asked me, how are you going to do it? There is nobody that's doing it. And I'm like, that's precisely why it's needed, because nobody's doing it and because there is a need. There is a need where people like myself who are followers of Jesus want to congregate in Spanish and be attentive to our, our, our culture when we do our worship. And it needs to have the values of the UCC because the UCC wants to meet you where you are, right? This is no matter where you are in your journey, you are welcome here, right? This is the, something that's read everywhere, almost every Sunday in different congregations of the UCC. So I'm like, I have this to offer and I'm not interested in being called to a church that doesn't speak my language. And I'm not interested to go and, and service a church that doesn't resemble me. And so, I mean, it was very clear to me what my call was in the same way it's been very clear to me all my life who I am. So I started Ministerio Latino and now we are this vibrant group of people, 25, we aren't that many, but it is such a beautiful space. Transgender men and women get baptized in Ministerio Latino and they get to receive the sacrament of baptism to reclaim who they are in their gender expression with the love of a faith community. Mm -hmm. We get to reclaim that we are children of God in Espanol. And that is a beautiful thing. Many people who come to our services says, oh, oh my God. I hadn't sang that song in years because I stopped going to church. And that, that song just opened up my heart. And I know I mean, you listen to the music you grew up with and, and you feel alive again. And, and people say, oh, I have been praying for the first time because I thought that I wasn't allowed to pray in front of God. People have said to me that I'm not worthy of praying in front of God. And now, and now they, you know, they have the space and, 
most of the people who are part of the congregation are part of the board, are part, are part of committees. Mm-hmm. So it's a very LGBTQ-led effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not just RINA, now it's in the hands of many people. And just got our website designed by Yadi Martinez, as you All know. Right. Yeah. So we finally have a website because every time I go to conference, people don't want to know if we have a cyberspace presence. And I said, no, <laughs> no, you cannot find me anywhere. <laughs> so we finally have a website that I can provide to you. But Wonderful. that is the baby. Uh, Ministerio Latino is 10 years old. Uh, we're doing a lot of activities around the 10th anniversary. We did a virtual party with uh, salsa, merengue, all kind of music, punta, um, reggaeton. Uh, for an hour and a half, we had a 30 people connecting and dancing from all over the place. Now we have a, a clear connection with a pastor in El Salvador that teaches uh, queer theology, and we bring him on via Zoom to teach that in Espanol, and people are benefiting a lot from mm. this opening up uh, of, their, of their minds, of finding the queer people of the Bible, because... People, there is queer people in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's that. That's amazing, and I, I just really am struck by the different experiences you've shared of of people who feel fully and completely affirmed and and welcomed and supported in Ministerio Latino. And it's interesting because you know I can say from just from the time that I've spent entrenched with Encuentros Latinx and some of the virtual events that we've done, like most recently, the Good Friday uh, service, we did a, a Christmas service back in the Christmas season. And just for me personally, and being on this constant journey of um, reclaiming and, and reconnecting, there is something different for me about attending these services that are in Spanish or partly in Spanish and then in English, it's sometimes I find myself completely like understanding everything that's happening in Spanish, which is very affirming for me. Wonderful. And, and, but, but it's even a little bit more than that because yeah, I don't, I didn't grow up going to church in Spanish. I mean, I always grew up going to church. My, my mom took me to Catholic church when I was really young and then she um, had a, a conversion experience, and we we started attending a non-denominational evangelical church, which it's you know white, mostly a white contemporary type of of church environment. So I didn't really have that exposure to like Spanish church, and so that's still something new for me. But at the same time, when I have experienced church or worship settings when it is full of Latinos, Latines, and it's full of, of that. And there's just something, something different that stirs in me. I tell you. more alive. Yeah. Of course. It has, it's, it's like a meal, mm-hmm. you know, when you put the Latinx in, uh, in there, you have hot sauce, you have all these spices. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying white churches are blend. Please excuse me if, you know, it's not that what I'm saying, it serves a purpose. Some people are very comfortable on it. But if part of who you are has this pull into a more 
emotional, passionate, you know, drama-driven culture or expressive, mm -hmm. of course you're going to need the spices. Mm -hmm. And that is the flavor that I feel it gets mixed in now uh, into what we are doing because we try. Mm -hmm. We have to put it in. For instance, we're going to have a commemoration of the fifth anniversary of the tragedy that happened at a club Pulse in Tampa five years ago, mm -hmm. where 49 of our LGBTQ siblings, mostly Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. were killed by a hate crime, by a person that had hate. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that's being planned for the service, don't miss out, it's on June the 3rd, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we're going to have a presentation of Bomba Dance. There's somebody, a performer, who's going to do some, a piece especially for this commemoration, and it's going to be videotaped, uh, and we're going to present it at this service. How beautiful is that? That we're going to have something ancestral, somebody, somebody who's going to embody spirituality of African descent, Latino descent, indigenous, and it's going to be presented to honor the lives of the people who passed away, were killed that, that day mm. on June the 12th, mm -hmm. five years ago. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, to be proud about it. We put mm -hmm. the hot sauce in the table. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the Pulse tragedy, and th this ties into my proto-encounter, actually, with Encuentros Latinx. Um, th this was several years back in uh, 2017. It was... Uh, the ONA gathering before General Synod. My congregation actually hosted that gathering. We were the host church for that. Mm. And um, that was the very first time, and I had no idea this, this would happen. Com coming right into my church was Reverend Ellie with Proyecto Encuentros de Gracia y Bienvenida, which is the, this is, that is what Encuentros Latinx evolved from. From, yeah. And I was, first of all, that was, I think, maybe the first time in my time at a UCC church as part of the UCC. And now I joined the UCC in about 2013. And uh, 2015, I, I went to General Synod for the first time. So I like I had been involved already by 2017 wow, at, at different yeah. different levels of the church. I was just well, well, you five five year old. <laughs> <laughs> but I I had been I'd been involved with this denomination for that amount of years, and I am fairly certain Reverend Ellie was the first other queer Puerto Rican person in the UCC that I had encountered. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. had and I had no idea that there was this uh this movement, this, this ministry where yeah. that, that was operating from that intersection of queer and Latina. And learning about that uh, just it just kind of unlocked this like, oh, because there because it, it felt like at that time this very much ignored part of my identity where I, where I was feeling a lot of I was going through a lot of stuff of, of like, you know, realizing the full like consequences of the assimilation and self erasure that, that I did and just starting to, to really un unpack that. But then so Ellie led a workshop and she did some other things, too, as, as part of the service. And one of one of the things is she had this quilt, this quilt oh, yes. of the, the photographs 
yeah, the, the photographs of the victims of the Pulse shooting. Yeah. And there was this part of the ONA gathering. I, th- I think it might have been the last day of the gathering where we had that quilt mm-hmm. hanging in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, mm-hmm. altar area mm-hmm. inside the sanctuary. So let me let me just like emphasize how powerful this was for me because we're talking about my home church, mm-hmm. a queer Latinx ministry that I didn't know how desperately I mm-hmm. needed it until I was until I mm-hmm. knew it even existed. Mm-hmm. This time, this sacred time of memorializing and and honoring and commemorating these victims, most of whom, like you said were of Puerto Puerto Rican descent, which is where, which is where I'm from as well, hanging in the holy space in my home church with liturgy that mixes English and Spanish. And I was actually part of, um, giving a benediction in that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was such a powerful confluence of these, these three major aspects of my identity and my sense of self that were coming mm-hmm. together and all of them were visible at once. And that mm-hmm. was, that was the the key because, you know, I can, I can skate by just fine, you know, where, you know, my, my, my queerness is widely accepted in the UCC. Like it, it's fine. Like mm-hmm. I feel, you know, comfortable mm-hmm. in, in that way, but then the, it's, it's the, it's the Latinx part that yeah. was more that, that wasn't being fed. And, so being part of Encuentros Latinx is part of feeding that and continuing to feed that. And hopefully it can feed even more people because I think there are so many of us who are second generation like me or third generation and so on. Yeah, and I think that as we evolve, <laughs> there'll be more people mixed mm-hmm. like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be, our generations are going to continue you know, being more uh, interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be room mm-hmm. for everything we are. Mm-hmm. Nothing can stay at the door. Otherwise, you're not going to feel conflicted, mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. You know, something that I'm still wanting to, to figure out and to con- continue to learn is what does a Latinx church even look like? I, this is something, a point of conversation that we've had in our Encuentros Latinx, like our, our meetings, our, our team meetings is like, what does it look like to, for, for the wider UCC to embrace? It's like, like, what does that mean? Does that mean bilingual services? Does that mean like? Well, I can only tell you what it means for me. Yeah. For me, it means a place where there is a lot of messiness, but I'm not, talking about people not respecting mm-hmm. boundaries. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the human aspect of where people cry, mm-hmm. where people express themselves, where sometimes they curse out because they are angry at God. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they laugh and big laughs, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... To me, it's a place where people don't hold back mm. uh, because if you have watched a novella, people don't hold back. <laughs> they smack each other. No, yep. no, I mean, I, I don't think, don't, don't think it's a, a, a boxing ring. It's not like that. I, I know it's, I know it's personal right. But 
to me, it has a lot of life. Mm-hmm. And life is never quiet. Uh, in life, you cannot have the pristine, you know, and the perfect prayer. I'll give you an example. I don't know if this is going to be allowed in the editing, but I was preaching on the multiplication of the fish mm-hmm. and the breath mm-hmm. on how Jesus had done this miracle. And I was preaching in Spanish. And there was a minute where I sleep. And rather than saying penis, I say penis, which means penises, penises. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I said that Jesus multiplied the penis <laughs> in those peces. And I said it out loud. And I said it, and the trans woman in the room and everybody who's a gay man is looking at me. What did Jesus multiply? And I turned red. I turned red. And people just look at me with a forgiving smile. And they said, Pastor, continue your sermon. It's okay if Jesus multiplied the penises. It's okay. We understand that's the kind of church we want to come to. You know, but... Picture that in a white congregation. Oh, my gosh. I would have died. I don't think people would have been that forgiving. I, you know, and so those things happen, and there is a sense of celebration. And I don't know. I, I'm probably, you asking somebody who's really biased. I like my hot sauce. I like my, you know, my spices. I like I like my Latina, Latinidad. So, yeah. And I like preaching about Penises, yeah, well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> that oh my gosh, that that reminds me of, of another story that happened at the um, at the ONA conference. Uh, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this this is the same uh, the same ONA conference that I was uh, speaking about before, and my friend and I were in this workshop. I I forget what exactly the workshop was, but we had workshops throughout the church in different classrooms throughout the building. And so we we're in this one uh, this one classroom. And at the end of the workshop, somebody said, uh, does anybody have any any parting words? And this, uh, this one woman who's a minister, she said completely straight face, dead, deadpan face. And all she said was, clitoris, peace be with you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, only, yeah, only at the ONA gathering in the UCC, evidently. Um, <laughs> yeah. And for people who did you know, it's the open and affirming gathering yeah, of churches yeah. that are uh, open to the LGBT community yeah. in the UCC. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, oh God, that's so funny. And, and it's, yeah. it, it, it is funny. And, and, you know, one of the refreshing things about ONA and just the UCC in general is that there is more openness to just that type of conversation. Exactly. I, I think that's important because that is our whole lives. Okay. How many, how many UCC different things can we like name drop in this podcast? We've got ONA and now we're talking about our whole lives. Uh, you know, who else, anyone else want to like have a little shout out and chime in here? Um. I know people, we have it all. Come to us, yeah. come to us. Seriously, yes. seriously. And if we don't have it, we'll make it happen. <laughs> Absolutely. There is a exhibit booth, a general synod for all of you. Yeah, because God is still speaking. I think we roll with that, right? That's the uh, tag, right? The tagline mm-hmm. of the UCC. God is still speaking. And, and if we believe that our heart 
then that means we don't have the last word yeah. on who God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, going back to this question that I raised earlier about what does a Latinx church look like? I mean, that that's something that, you know, I'm thinking about a lot because I'm in a congregation where, as far as I know, I am one of two, maybe three people who could claim Latinx identity mm-hmm. or heritage. Whether or mm-hmm. not the other folks do is um, they they might have things or maybe that's not the word for them. But so I don't want to like presume a specific mm-hmm. identifier on them. But I am also the one who goes the most regularly. So it, it's like if I'm if I'm going to bring anything Latinx to the church, it's like I'm representing it all. And yeah. and for for me and just my own experiences while while I'm glad to do that in some respects in other respects it also feels like a weight because if I I mean I can't at, yeah. at this point I cannot go to my congregation and say you know we need to be more like opening to to Latinx Latine because the next question is going to be well what does that look like and yeah, and what it like what can my answer really be because I feel I mean for the most part well it I has can, to come I can be it has to there, be you know? It has to be resembled from leadership, right? So at some point, you know, places that are very serious about this integration, they had to bring in people like myself Mm -hmm. that can get started in Ministerio Latino Mm -hmm. that have that going for them. They Mm -hmm. they know it's part of their cultural upbringing and and it's part of their spiritual upbringing and they have experienced it and they know how to put it together, mm-hmm. right? So it has to be very intentional. Mm-hmm. The thing is that it's not going to happen by accident and it's not going to happen by putting somebody as the token person, yeah. right? We know that that does a disservice. Mm-hmm. It does a disservice to the person who's being pointed out as the representative mm-hmm. and it does a disservice to other people because they don't get to experience the fullness mm-hmm. of what that means. Right. And so intentional leadership needs to be formed, push forward, mm-hmm. put in place. And I'm very lucky to have a mother church that believes in that, our Senior pastor is a black woman, mm-hmm. and uh, the predecessor was a white woman who brought her in as an associate pastor with that in mind mm-hmm. to, to, to represent leadership at the top. That was more embracing of everybody. Mm-hmm. And so they brought me in, and they say, this idea you have of starting Ministerio Latino, we're going to back it up all the way. Mm-hmm. And I have had the luck of having a fiscal sponsor that all along the way had been in three covenant with me mm-hmm. and told the UCC Conference of Northern California, yes, we're going to back up this, this effort. We don't know where it's going to take us, but we're going to be behind Rina. And so they gave room for me into the leadership of the church mm-hmm. to do my own thing. So if people don't take those steps, it won't happen. It won't happen by accident. If our denomination, the United Church of Christ, doesn't have a place like Encuentros Latines, mm-hmm. then it doesn't happen. We don't find each other. We will, might, might find each other in one big gathering and say, hola, from behind, from, you know, 
from far away, but that doesn't gonna make us form community. Mm-hmm. So there has to be the intentionality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I think I I like to think uh, positively of the vast majority of the UCC. I I think I think that probably a lot of people will be open to this, but I, I think that's going to be it is and will continue to be a question especially for majority white congregations which is a yeah. lot like like that that just is going to be a, a question that's going to come up in this work all the yeah. time of like of like well what does that mean is that bilingual services is that is that, but know, not that like i think that's but that's just i think yeah. that's going to be the response you know so like kind of what what's your response to that response if that makes sense yes you know the way i've seen it happen in and it breaks my heart and um, I'm going to be very critical here mm-hmm. of some efforts sure. that are doing great work, mm-hmm. is that they feel that they can serve the Latinx community and sort of uplift people by providing services. Mm-hmm. Those are needed. We know Latinx folks and Im- immigrants are very marginalized, mm-hmm. and, he, and, then, and they need services. Mm-hmm. But the moment um, the messiness of life that I talk about take, takes place and, and people want to become leaders, they don't know what to do with that. These congregations don't know with, what to do with leadership that doesn't look like them. Mm-hmm. They know how to give hot meals. Mm-hmm. They know how to provide for rent. And those things are needed. They shouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. But create room for people at the table where they have a say that's a different story. Mm. So, yeah, you thought that a business meeting at church was messy? Wait until you have the Latinos in the house. <laughs> Wait until that happens. But if it doesn't happen, then you don't grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, certainly as as I go along, I mean, I'm, I love what I've seen so far, like I said, of what Encuentros Latinx has done in terms of the the type of worship provided and the different things that we are doing and and the different uh, the different projects that we have. So, I guess uh, can you can you tell us more about what's on the horizon for Encuentros Latinx? What are we working yes. on? And what are we looking forward to? Yes. So if you want to know how to start these conversations of inclusion and how to be genuinely interested in the culture of uh, the Comunidad Latina, you can ask us to bring a workshop to your church. You can ask us to be, bring a workshop to your conference. And we have very well-trained facilitators that put together our own curriculum, our own toolkits that has the flavor of each one of us, which is beautiful because we didn't borrow this from anybody else. The writers are people from within the Encuentros Latinx Advisory Board. And so we can bring this and engage people in conversation and just spark the curiosity, because that's what you need to spark. You know, sometimes we are so entrenched and thinking the other is going to reject us for what we don't know that we don't even start the conversation. You know, I feel sometimes for white people that I feel like they are walking on eggshells because they cannot ask you where you're from. You know, if they ask me where I'm from, I'm very proud to say I'm from El Salvador. You know, 
I'm glad that you're meeting a Salvadorian who grew up watching a volcano every day. Uh, I carry a volcano in my heart. So I think that if we can bring this to your congregation, it might be the bridge that you need to connect you to to that that you don't know. And we have a racism toolkit and we have an LGBTQ toolkit with the stories and testimonies that can open somebody's heart to listen one another. Uh, we have this podcast and we are hoping to continue and have more voices and we're hoping that this podcast can carry on, can be everywhere where people want to talk of inclusivity and people really want to listen to those very hard truths that sometimes land very uncomfortably on us because we don't want our privilege to be challenged. But so be it. Everybody carries privilege and it's good to revisit how and what can we do with that privilege to help others. So that's in the horizon, uh, carrying out our toolkits. We are um, and ca- bringing more uh, podcast episodes to you writing more and more reflections that are both in English and Spanish because some, some people they don't you know they don't like to listen to podcasts or um, they don't like to engage that way they like to read an article so we have that for you my hope too is that we can be sort of the cradle for more activism so that we can support leadership of other Latinx clergy within the UCC to do what we're doing in this little corner. For instance, we are uh, doing co- pastoral coaching for Latinx clergy who has to pastor white churches and sometimes struggle with that. So we offer that support specifically for Latinx clergy, but also we are now offering that support to white clergy that wants to open up to more diversity and to, ha- to know how to meet people and invite people in. So we have that too. Uh, so my hope is that we are this little mouse that's sneaking in the kitchen, you know, sort of like getting into dessert, getting into the food, and just the presence of the little mouse is felt in that big kitchen. Um, maybe that's not the right image, but yeah, something like that. Encuentros Latinx is a little mouse. Um, I think uh, I think we have we're gonna have to talk to a, a marketing person and get some merch. Uh, oh gosh! <laughs> well, just that we look innocent, but that we are present and we're gonna eat your cookie. <laughs> Amazing. And well. Folks who have been listening to the podcast for a long time have actually gotten a sneak preview of some of the toolkit content because um, we've had one or two people who wrote pieces for the toolkits actually read their pieces at the end of some episodes on here. So uh, yeah, yeah, Edwin, Edwin was the first one. Jaddy? Yes. Oh, cool. 
Okay. So that's a little a little taste of that. And um, and also, if you are going to attend virtual general synod, there will be another. There will be one of the workshops that we're doing uh, that will be. <laughs> yes, you are hearing it here first, folks. Rena and I will be presenting a workshop on these very toolkits at general synod. So look forward to that. One of many exciting things that we hope that Encuentos Latinx can continue to do. So where can people keep up with you and also with Encuentros Latinx? Go to the main website and we can you can just type in search Encuentros Latinx and there we our page will come up and you can find our podcast and our toolkits. Great, great. And I'd love to wrap this up by just asking do you have any parting words for our queer folks, our, our Latinx listeners? Any any parting words that are coming to you? You know, I'm pretty sure there is uh, a heaven that includes Spanish music. So I'm sure you need to learn it because there'll be play up there. <laughs> Wonderful. Well... <laughs> That's that's a that almost feels like a that almost feels like a conviction. Not not to get all like you have to learn Spanish because that can be a that can be like a whole thing. But but it you know it, it does kind of feel like a you know a, a little an bit invitation. of a little bit of a challenge, but also also an invitation. You know, if you an invitation, are, yeah. If if you are like me and you've got some reconnection work that you're doing with your sense of latinidad and if that involves learning spanish or encountering spanish more often well you've heard it here uh rena says that there's going to be spanish music in heaven so we yeah. gotta gotta prepare for that yeah it's gonna be jesus not jesus so i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh well thank you so much rena for coming on the podcast it was a joy to speak with you <laughs> Same here, Taylor. You're amazing. You make it very comfortable. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this. On behalf of Encuentros Latinx, we hope you'll join us on our next Encuentro.